you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the 17th chapter of the book of Genesis? On Sunday night, we're in a sermon series simply called The Patriarchs. In the weeks and months and maybe years to come, who knows how long it's going to be, we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham, the life of Isaac, the life of Jacob, the life of Joseph. We're going to be looking at men that God greatly used. And from them, we're going to learn that God wants to use us greatly as well. These are not just stories about the past. They're stories about the present. They're not just stories about them. It's stories about us. It's not only what God was doing then. It's what God so desperately wants to do now. May he who have an ear always hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Genesis 17. But let's back up to Genesis 16 and look at verse 15 and 16, which lead us in to verse 17. The Bible says, In Hagar birthed Abraham a son. And Abraham called his son's name, which Hagar birthed, Ishmael. And this time, Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar birthed Ishmael to Abraham. Verse 1 of chapter 17. Time passes, and Abraham is now 99 years old. And the Lord appears to him and speaks to him and says, I remind you that I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be you upright, sincere, or perfect as the King James reads. The title of our message tonight is A Call to Holiness. God has many attributes. God has many characteristics. He truly is a God of love. He truly is a God of grace and mercy. He's a God of long-suffering and patience. But more than anything else, I believe the Scriptures teach He is a God of holiness a God of righteousness, and a God who expects those who claim His name and who talk with Him and walk with Him to be such a people. As we go into Genesis 17, we have learned that Abraham, when he was 85 years old, came to the conclusion he was too old to father a child. Sarah, his wife, who was 75 years old, came to the conclusion she was too old to mother a child. Yet God had promised them that they would have a son, that from their son would come a great nation, from their son would come a great people, from their son would come a great blessing to the entire world. God had promised them that. God had signed, sealed, and delivered that promise as we saw last week 
with a covenant. And yet it hadn't happened yet, ladies and gentlemen. Why was God late on his promise? Why was there no movement? Why was there no action? Why was God not doing anything? In trying to figure out God, Abraham and Sarah had a conversation. And Sarah introduced a scheme to Abraham. She said, you know, maybe God wants us to help ourselves. God helps those who help themselves. That's what the scripture says, Abraham. No, it doesn't. You know, a lot of old sayings that we quote and say comes from the Bible, and you won't find it in the Bible. And this is one of those old sayings, and they have a conversation, and Sarah says, listen, Abraham, I believe that God wants us to take the initiative on this one. God's really waiting on us. The promise that God made to us, we're going to have to help God on this one. Abraham, you know that socially it's acceptable for me to choose a proxy to bring a child into the world. We have a servant girl whose name is Hagar. I'm going to ask her to stand in for me, to be my proxy. And I'm going to ask you to impregnate her. I'm going to ask you and her together to bring forth the promised child that God said he would give us. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have a baby and we're going to do it our way. And God will be pleased. Ladies and gentlemen, bear in mind, what sometimes is socially acceptable is not biblically acceptable. Sometimes in our impatience, I know you're not an impatient person, but in your impatience and my impatience, we have tendencies to run ahead of God and do things ourselves. We'll open the door that's closed. We'll create the opportunity that's not there. We'll force things. We'll put our round peg into that square hole. And if not, we're going to tear both of them up trying. Because after all, God helps those who help themselves. And folks... Hagar brings forth a child into the world. That baby boy is named Ishmael. And we're going to talk later about all that means. But tonight as we go into Genesis 17, we see that God, for 13 years, from the time that Ishmael entered the world, from the time that Abraham and Hagar had their affair approved by Sarah, God has not spoken. 
The God who walked with Abraham has not been seen for 13 years. The God who talked with Abraham has not been seen for 13 years. The God who fellowshiped with Abraham and he with God has not turned up in 13 years. It says in verse 1 of chapter 17, don't miss it. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared. This word appeared means suddenly, out of nowhere, unexpectedly. Because he hasn't been there for 13 years. Not a sound, but silence. No movement, but stillness. Why? Because God disciplines us when we do not do right. We've talked about this in previous messages. How chastening discipline is God's way of getting our attention. God's way of changing our mind and how we're thinking, our heart and how we're feeling, our mouth and how we're talking, our actions and how we're conducting ourselves. And God wasn't pleased that Abraham and Sarah concocted this scheme to bring a baby into the world and go ahead of him. He wasn't happy about it. We know that God's chastening and God's discipline can oftentimes be one of three things. And we talked about this. You remember the wood? Just remember wood. God sometimes disciplines by putting us on the wood, what I call the wood shelf. He just sticks us up there on, a, on one of those whatnot shelves, as the old folks used to call it. And he leaves us alone. He don't talk to us. He doesn't interact with us. He just leaves us alone. And when he does that, he takes away our peace. He takes away our joy. He takes away our hope. While we're on the shelf, all we know is gloom, despair, and agony on me. Misery. If that doesn't work, God can take us from the wood shelf to the woodshed. He can physically pain us in order to get our attention and turn us back to where we need to be. If that doesn't work, God can put us in the wooden box and take us home. And there's been many Christians who have, been who have died early because they have been living in blatant rebellion and disobedience to God and they won't change. And God says, you're not going to bring shame and embarrassment to me no more. Just come home and be with me. Well, for Abraham and Sarah, it's been the wood shelf. Thirteen years on that shelf. Not a word from God. He hasn't spoken. Not a touch from God. He hasn't enjoined himself to them. Thirteen years of no God. 
No signs, no wonders, no miracles, no blessings, no grace, no mercy. God has not spoken. God has not moved. He's left Abraham and Sarah on the shelf. Now, I want to give some credit to Abraham and Sarah at this moment because they kept on serving God. Thirteen years they haven't heard from him. Thirteen years they've seen no signs, wonders, or miracles. Thirteen years they've had no experience with God. He's all but disappeared. But the Bible seems to indicate that they kept on praying to him. They kept on worshiping him. They kept on making the sacrifices for their sins. They kept on witnessing their faith. They kept on praising his name when opportunity arose. They did this when God was silent. They did this when God was still. Would you do it? Would I do it? I don't know. But Abraham and Sarah did it. Thirteen years of it. And then all of a sudden... God shows up. He comes to the wood shelf. He shows himself again. He speaks again. He engages himself with Abraham and Sarah again. What is God's going to say after 13 years of silence? What is he going to do after 13 years of stillness? Chapter 17, verse 1. Abraham was 99 years old. And suddenly, unexpectedly, he appears to Abraham. And he speaks. I am almighty God. I am almighty God. Walk before me. And be thou perfect. Interesting. God is speaking to Abraham about who he is and what he expects of Abraham and Sarah. He talks about what I call the seriousness of holiness. There are no big shots or little shots in the kingdom of God. The last time I checked, at the foot of the cross, there's level ground. And in God's kingdom, he expects all of us, from the leadership to the laity, from those that are perceived to be big shots to those that are perceived to be little shots, though they're neither. He expects us all to be holy. He expects you to be holy. You say, You're, are you pointing at me? Yeah, I am now, every one of you. Don't you laugh, I'm going to get you too. And you, and you double over here. All ten over here. God expects of us holiness. 
There's nothing that we can say to substitute for holiness. There's nothing that we can do to substitute for holiness. There's no praise that can take its place. There's no worship that can take its place. There's no service that can take its place. There's no giving of any amount of money that can take its place. God expects of His people, first and foremost, that we be holy. He wants a holy people, a righteous people, who will carry His name to a generation, to a society, to a culture that has no righteousness, that has no holiness. That we might be a light in their darkness. And in their darkness, they'll see our light and say, how did you get that light? And we'll tell them how the light can go on in their life. And those in decay will come to us and say, how did you get such a savory salt? And we'll be able to scatter that salt into them. But you can't do that if you're like them. We have to stand apart from them. And that means we have to be holy where they're unholy, righteous where they're unrighteous. Well, what does it mean to be holy, Pastor? Glad you asked. Look at verse 17. God identifies himself and then says, walk before me. Walk before me. That word walk in the Hebrew is an interesting word. It means to order your life. To live in such a way that you are conscious of God's presence all the time. To walk before me means that each and every day of our life, we are conscious of God's presence being with us. We may not be able to see Him. We may not be able to hear Him. We may not feel His touch. But we're always conscious of the fact that He is with us. How do you know He's with us, Pastor? Because He said He would be. We walk by promise and by faith, not by what we see, hear, or feel. I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Thus saith the Lord. And those who walk with Him, those who desire to have holiness before Him, that they can be used to reach others, they always have a consciousness of God's presence, but also they have an obedience to God's proclamation. An obedience to what God says. Lord, I understand what you're saying. Or I don't understand what you're saying. Lord, I agree with what you're saying. Lord, I disagree with it all. Lord, I feel like I want to do it. Lord, I don't feel like I want to do it at all. But Lord, your will be done, not mine. Whatever you say, Lord, I will do. Understand it or not, agree with it or not, feel like it or not, I do it. 
those who walk with God, they're conscious of his presence. They're obedient to his proclamation, his marching orders to his soldiers, to his sons and daughters. They're also dependent on God's power, those who walk with him and who desire to be holy. They truly believe that God is able. Let me take it a step further. They truly believe that God is willing and able. It's one thing to be able. It's another thing to be willing and able. God says, I can, but also God says, I want to. I want to give you my power, and I can give you my power. Don't worry about the situation or circumstance. I got it under control. So God speaks to Abraham and Sarah, and he says, I expect you to walk with me. I want you to know my presence. I want you to obey my proclamation. I want you to depend on my power. From this day forward, that's what you're to do. Or I'll put you right back on the shelf again. And then he says something else. He says, I want you to be perfect. If, if you're going to be holy, you've got to walk with me. Conscious of my presence, obedient to my proclamation, dependent on my power, and then you've got to be perfect. You say, Pastor, nobody's perfect. You're right. That word perfect doesn't mean to be like God. Only God's perfect. It means to be constantly striving toward perfection. Constantly striving. The idea is to be continually being groomed and grown in the Lord. Comes back to a word that we've talked about before called sanctification. Allowing the Spirit of God to so work in our lives each and every day that we become more like Jesus, we become closer to Jesus, more today than we were yesterday, more tomorrow than we are today. We're striving. Pastor, can you strive and fall down on your face? Yes, you can, but you get back up. Pastor, can you strive and go off to the left or off to the right? Yes, you can, but you get back on the straight and narrow. Pastor, can you get tired and weary and sit out and rest a while and even quit? Yeah, you can, but then you get back up and you move on. That's the mark of a true believer. You can knock them down, but you can't knock them out. They might stray, but they'll come back. They might fall in their face, but they'll get back up. That's the mark of a man that, or woman who's born again. The Spirit of God won't let them quit. God says to Abraham, if you want to be holy, because I'm holy, you will walk with me. And you'll keep walking with me no matter what. Abraham, I want you to give me a commitment that you're going to do right now. I want you, if you don't make that commitment and you fall flat on your face, that when you get back up, you'll make it then. You see, striving for perfection is not so much always an action, but it's an attitude. I, that's what I want to do. I'm in the flesh. I may not do it. But that's what I want to do. And that's what I'm trying to do. 
Before there was a Wando High School, there was a Moultrie High School. Do you all remember Moultrie High School? That goes back a long time. That's back in the caveman days. And I played football back then. We didn't even have helmets or shoulder pads. I'm just kidding. We had those. But we played a team called Moultrie. And I was playing safety back in those days. And the quarterback, six times, ladies and gentlemen, over a period of about one quarter, kept throwing the same pass over and over and over again to the same player in my area. Those of you who know football, you often have zones, and I had a particular zone as a safety, and they kept throwing the football over and over and over again, six times, in fact, maybe more, into my zone. Same player, same route, same pass. Six times. Well, let me tell you what happened. Two times, it was broken up. One time, it was intercepted. Two other times, the throw was bad. The one time that the play actually worked, the guy caught the ball, then he fumbled it, and we recovered the fumble. Six times. After the game, you know, players talk a little bit. And I talked to the quarterback of the team. And I said, I got to hand it to you. You never quit. <laughs> I ate six times and he failed. But he kept throwing it. He said, Pastor, why'd you tell that silly story? Because sometimes we just need to keep on, keep on. Just keep on keeping on. Don't quit. If you believe it's going to work, keep on doing it. Particularly if you know it's going to work because the Bible says so. And God has said so. And in time, it'll all work out. Then God speaks again to Abraham. He not only talks to Abraham about the seriousness of holy life, and he says, Abraham, I expect you to walk with me, and I expect you to keep walking with me no matter what. Even when you fail, get up and keep walking with me. Be perfect. And then lastly, he talks about how that holiness comes about. Now, Abraham's been told what to do. You got that? He's been told what to do. He's to walk with God. He's also been told to be striving for God. But how in the world can we do it? Chapter 17, look again. The Lord always identifies himself when he speaks. I had a, someone call me several days ago, and they asked me a question, and they said, Pastor, I, I've heard my name called out in the middle of the night. I don't know if I'm imagining things. I don't know if I'm dreaming. I don't know if something's really calling me. I just don't know who it is. But they call my name. And she said, do you believe it's God? 
What do you believe? I said, what else do they say other than your name? She says, all they say is my name. I said, well, whenever God speaks, he identifies himself. And since the one who's speaking to you did not identify himself, all I can tell you, it's not God. You figure out the rest. God identifies himself to Abraham. It's been 13 years. I am the almighty God. And then he tells Abraham, this is what I wanted you to do. This is what I expect you to do. To walk with me and to keep walking with me even when you fail. Get up and keep walking with me. Just keep doing it. Yes, Satan's going to tempt you. Yes, the world's going to try to conform you. Yes, your flesh is going to try to battle with you. I know you can't do it, Abraham. I know you can't do it, Sarah. But I'm going to give you myself that you can do it. You see, that's the wonderful thing about our God. Pay attention to your pastor. He tells us to do something, then he does it for us through us. And then he blesses us for it. That's like me telling my son to go out and cut the grass. And then he gets behind the, the lawnmower and I get behind him. I do all the pushing. I do all the cutting. He just walks with me. And then when we get through, I give him $50 for cutting the yard. You say, but pastor, he didn't do it, you did it. Exactly what I'm saying. God tells us to do something. He knows we can't do it. He knew Abraham couldn't walk with him. He knew Abraham was prone to fail and would stay down and lay down. He knew that. And then God says, listen, let me tell you who I am. I'm El Shaddai, God. And I'll give you the ability to walk with me in a holy way. I'll give you the ability when you fall on your face. And by the way, you will, Abraham, to get back up and move on. Abraham, you can't, but I can and I'll do it through you. And then I'll bless you for it. <laughs> you know what the El Shaddai means? The God of great power. Aren't you glad when God comes to us, He says, I'm the God of great power. Why are you so worried? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so full of doubts? Just let me have it. And that's what He says to Abraham. You can, Abraham, but by my power, you can do it. You know, when you think about that, the power of God working in us and through us and for us that he might bless us, why should we ever worry? Martin Luther was a great man of faith, but he had a tendency to be a worrywart, to be a fretter. To be somebody that was constantly filled with doubts about his abilities to do this or that. 
And he, one day, he, his wife got involved with him. You know, wives can do that every now and then. They just interject themselves into your business. Well, she saw her husband battling with these doubts and these fears. And it wasn't just momentarily. It went on for days. It went on for weeks. It went on for months. And she finally spoke up. She said, Martin, what time's the funeral? And he says, what funeral? She said, the way you're acting, God must have died and you're going to the funeral. God is still alive, honey. He's still on his throne. Why are you worried and fretting about things? Get up and get moving. Wow. And do you know what she said startled him and rattled his spiritual cage and led him to do some amazing things? And some of us need to understand, we're not going to a funeral. Our God is alive. He's El Shaddai, God. He's the God of great power. And he says to Abraham, I'm going to give you the power that you need to walk with me. I'm going to give you the power to get up when you fail me, because you're going to fail me, but I'm going to give you the power to get back up. Abraham, you can't do it, but I'm going to give you the power to do it. Abraham, you can't do what I'm asking you to do, but I'm going to give you a promise to go with it. Abraham, I am reaffirming to you again that I'm going to give you a son. If you read more through Genesis 17, God repeats himself again and again and again. And he says to Abraham, I promised you a son, and that son will come from you. I promised you a son, and that son will come from your wife Sarah. I don't care how old you are. That's irrelevant to me. I promised you I'll deliver. Wow. The just shall walk by the power of God. The just shall walk by the promises of God. And then God says to them, I'll give you a pardon too. Because every time you fall on your face, I am a God who is faithful and just. And if you will confess your failures to me, your sins to me, I will be faithful to forgive you. That's what he's saying. Wow. Put your name there. This is what I want you to do. I want you to be holy, says God. I want you to walk with me. I want you to know my presence. I want you to obey my proclamations. I want you to trust my promises. I know you're going to fall down. That's okay. Keep getting up. And to help you walk with me, fall for me, get up and go back with me, I'm giving you me. I'm giving you the power. I'm giving you the promise. I'm giving you the pardon. And if you'll just do it, I'll do it through you, and I'll give you the blessings for it. I'll make you what you can't make yourself and give you all the credit for it. 
Because I am El Shaddai, God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.